This week, Felicity shares her story of being diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome at just 18 years old. We discuss the ups and downs of living with a chronic illness and Felicity's resilient worry spirit as she works to be an advocate for people living with an invisible illness. This episode includes discussions about mental health issues. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Dashanka, and you're listening to That Was The Moment I Received A Life-Changing Health Diagnosis. My guest today is Felicity Murphy. Felicity is a 27-year-old living in New South Wales. She's a writer and host of Fliss's Corner and a fur mum to Rosie and Ellie. Thanks so much for your time today, Felicity, and thanks for being here. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. So um, I guess to begin with, if you want to take us through what life was like uh, before your moment. So yeah, you know, okay. What life like. So life before my moment, it was very different. So um, I was 16 um, and obviously had the back you know, my future ahead of me. I, you know, was really looking forward to finishing school and to getting my license and turning 18 and becoming like an adult and having all these like certain freedoms that I've been wanting for so long. Cause you know, you're on that verge of like coming out of teenagehood, but almost in that adult era. So you're sort of like in between where you're not fully grown for some things, but you're grown enough to be out of other things. And so I was sort of really looking forward to like finishing school and just sort of going to uni, I guess. Um, and just, you know, just living life. Like I didn't really think much about like what my future really held or what could happen to me or um, anything like that. I was just pretty much a normal 16 year old, um, you know, who socialized, who got good grades at school, who had a great um, uh, social, like um, social group, like so I had great friends. Um, and yeah, so for me, when I do sort of like a, um, reflection um and I've talked about this in my own podcast of like it's easier to sort of um define the two moments like life before when I was 16 and then compare it to life now as the 27 year old and I guess how much has changed in that time um so yeah I like to sometimes use it as that example so for me it's easy to to remember the good times and the good memories and when life was a bit more simple um so that's how I felt before my moment okay so so yeah you're just going through life as a normal 16 year old with kind of like um i guess every every opportunity available to you the world is your oyster so to speak yeah. um and I'm, I'm guessing i'm guessing quite carefree as well yeah i would say so i mean as carefree as i could be for like i was yeah. a pretty sensible 16 year old to be fair um but yeah still very like carefree didn't i wasn't selfish but i probably was I guess a little bit selfish as I would be at 16, like just not having world experience yet or, yeah. or like living in the real world. So yeah. Okay. And then, so what changed all of that? And like, I guess, take us to your, the moment that changed. all. Of yeah. That. So, um, it sort of happened. Sometimes I feel like it happened really fast. And then other times I feel like it was a very slow sort of burn as to how everything sort of changed. So um, when I turned 17, um, which was the April of 2000 and uh, God, um, 
13. <laughs> I have to think about that then. Um, I felt pretty normal, um, but it was June of 2013 when things just sort of took a turn. I just sort of remember little things happening. I feel like I've probably blocked most of it out because it's a bit traumatic, but um, the things that I do remember that, that um, stand out is, you know, just having this new overwhelming fatigue um, to the point where, you know, I just wasn't able to really function, you know, trying to get out of bed or um, going to bed. It was a bit different. It just felt like it was a bit more of a a task than it used to be like it just was odd Um, you know the energy levels just going up and down um, throughout the day and just feeling really off like feeling really weak Um, and you know for me it actually started with noticing like um, my lymph node was really swollen and it wasn't tender or anything to touch but it was like quite big and it was it stuck out a bit and um so because of all the the random symptoms of this tiredness and just not really eating and um not really having any motivation to do anything um my mum sort of was like maybe we should just go to the doctors to get it checked out um and that eventually led to like oh multiple blood tests, um, weeks and weeks sitting at doctors waiting for answers because no one could figure out what was wrong because all my blood tests were obviously showing up that nothing was wrong, um, all the things they were checking at the time, if thyroid was fine, like all those kind of things. So they were trying to, I guess, do the process of elimination. And it was a bit, I guess, infuriating, but also frustrating, but also really exhausting because, you know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting for answers um, and no one could give you any. And I think at this point, this is when my, I guess, point of view about the medical community started to change because, you know, up until that moment, I guess, I didn't really think that doctors couldn't fix things I didn't realize that they don't always have the answers or that you know it can take some time to find what they're looking for um, and that there is this thing of process of elimination but also just not being believed and um, like I was saying before like I was quite a sensible um, 16 year old so it wasn't like I was a known liar or anything so my mum took it quite seriously and she was probably my biggest advocate during that time because she could see physically see what was happening at home and just noticing like the energy like draining from me and just not you know not being able to and then it was little things like and then all of a sudden I wasn't able to walk properly like I felt really weak and dizzy all the time and I needed assistance you know walking around the house and it was really hard to walk when I went got to school and um it was things like that like it was slowly it was like my my body was slowly starting to burn out um and I think the turning point for me was when um I was at school and we'd finished for the day and I was walking down or I tried to walk down a flight of stairs and my body felt like it was just going to go out from under me and my legs were all like jelly-like and that had never happened to me before and um, I remember like telling my friend like I I need help like because I'd grabbed onto the railing but I was I just felt really unsteady and I felt like I was just going to faint or just fall and I remember being really like scared because I've never felt like that before Um, and you know we went to the doctor straight that afternoon and they were like you know because at this point they weren't sure what I had had um so they were like oh maybe it's something to do with your nerve system maybe something's attacking it maybe you've got a virus so obviously my immediate like thought was like oh my god like something's happening um but they did like these little tests while I was at the doctors um and they couldn't find 
like everything was normal. It was presenting as normal. I was walking in a straight line. I wasn't staggering. Um, yes, maybe there was, might've been a little bit of muscle weakness, but it wasn't really anything that they were concerned about. Um, so they just said, oh, it could just be um, whatever else is going on. It could just be that. So again, it was like, okay, there's no answers. Um, but my mum kept pushing for blood tests and eventually came out in the July. So obviously what June was when it started in July and it was July 13th because it was my brother's birthday. So it's a date I'll never forget um, is they rang us and they said that um, my blood work finally had showed um, showed something and it had showed that I had at some point glandular fever. So what they were thinking was all these symptoms at the time was post viral syndrome because I never had, I guess, a chance to recover. Um, I think my biggest thing with that was that I don't remember being as sick as what they make glandular fever to to sound like like I've never I've always heard about glandular fever but I've always heard really like horrible stories about people that have it and, and what they go through and I don't yeah. remember going through any of that so I was really surprised to know that that had showed up in my blood work but at the same time it made sense because of how rubbish I was feeling and my body was I guess got mm. to the point where I was like I can't function anymore because you're not letting me rest and you know it had been you know trying to I guess defend me for a while and it had it just got to the point where it couldn't anymore so um that was sort of what started all of this um and that was in the July and then between August and December there was just up and downs of this energy you know I had to get extra support at school I had to sort of like get extra support at home and and all those kind of things that you would put in place when you need that extra help especially when I wasn't really sure what was going on um and then because uh, January uh, 2014, I was entering my year 12 exams and my HSC and everything, my mum wanted me to go back to the doctors one last time because the symptoms were were still happening and they would happen gradually, like they would just come and go, sort of like good days, bad days. Um, and we went to the doctors and I remember they said that um, after all this time and everything that I've presented to them, they think that I have um, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, which is usually a like um, an end result of glandular fever. It's one of the things that can come um, from hap like well can happen from having glandular fever. Um, and they said that it was um, not curable, um, but it was manageable, and that I just needed to really focus, I guess, on diet and supplements and rest and um, exercise. And just trying to maintain, I guess, a healthy lifestyle to sort of balance, I guess, the fatigue levels, which I was a bit like, you know, I could barely walk half the time. I didn't know how specific, like exercise, yeah. but I was like, okay. Um, so that was sort of the only advice we got um, at the time. It was just sort of like, yeah, sorry, you've got it, but nothing we can really do. There's no cure. There's not really any treatments for it. it. There's no, yeah, there's no tablets for it. Like, yeah, you can get like supplements and things, but it doesn't yeah. cure the CFS. It doesn't take it out of your body. Um, so, yeah, that was that's what sort of um, that's, led to that moment. That's um, That sounds like a lot to deal with for, like, for an adult, but like a 17 year old, you weren't even 17 yet, you know, for, for you at that young age. Um, I mean, like that must've been really quite scary, especially when they, the advice you were receiving was, was, you know, 
you can manage it, manage it, manage it, but you're like, I don't have the energy to manage it. <laughs> like, yeah. You ask me to do these things, but I don't actually have the energy to do these things. So how, how does that work? Um, I, I was actually Googling a lot of the symptoms and of course a lot of the symptoms, um, you know, related to different cancers. So I actually started to convince myself I was dying and that it was like one of those Hollywood movies where, I mean, it's laughable now, but it's not funny at the time, um, you know, that I was, yeah. you know, this had this mystery illness and that they weren't going to find it until it was too late. And then, you know, so my 17-year-old brain is going, oh, my God, this is it. This is, this is, I didn't even get to live my life. Mm. I was sort of having these, like, you know, visions of having to tell people mm. that I was really sick and what was I going to do with my life and, um yeah, so it definitely was horrifying. And then when I actually got an answer and then I started Googling what CFS was and the causes of it and the symptoms of it, mm. it all, like all the puzzle pieces came together um, and it, it, it gave me a little bit of relief that there was a name for it, but there wasn't relief in the sense that, you know, this is like, because, you know, this was something I was going to have to deal with forever. And that to me at, at almost 18, was, it felt like a, a bit of a, like a, a jail sentence. It felt like I sort of had not really been given a chance to live life how I wanted to and now I've just been you know uh, I guess in this way toppled with a chronic illness at you know just before I turned 18 and that was not how I imagined my first year of adulthood. Yeah that's um that sounds really really intense and so what you've um, received the diagnosis uh, were you still going to school and you know did you finish the HSC and things like that? Yeah, so I, I was still going to school. There was a little while there where I thought about dropping out um, and just taking the time to literally stay home and rest and do nothing. But I didn't want to, like, I think it got to the point where I was like, no, I've worked this hard to get to year 12 and do my HSC. I don't want to drop out now. Um, so I did uh, complete my HSE, albeit with a bit of a struggle and a lot of assistance from school and my family and my friends and my boyfriend, now husband. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely tough. It's probably one of the worst things I've been through, I think. What's happened after that moment and how did you, I guess, start living with it now that you know, now that it has a name? Um, <sighs> Yep. Um, look, that is a really good question. Um, and it's something that I think of often. Uh, so basically, after, so I'll just, you know, obviously, I managed to get through the HSE and things like that. But when it came to after after, so what I was going to do, like, you know, about going to uni or trying to get a job and things like that. So basically, I was still a bit, I guess, in denial or didn't really understand the illness as such. Um, probably about a year later, I was still a bit like, didn't really get it, still was trying to figure out, you know, what actually caused flares is what I call them, or like what triggered me to have them. Um, so it's still very much like, I guess, learning. Um, and in 2015, I did get to go to uni. Um, and it was actually at uni that I had this sort of like epiphany that maybe life doesn't have to be so bad like maybe I can rather than working against it maybe I can work with it and then learn how my body like can cope during those moments so I, I guess I started paying attention to my body like actually listening to my body so you know what's 
triggered me and you know if I needed to rest then then I would rest I would just pretty much drop everything and go to bed for a few hours and then you know I would then pick up whatever I was doing afterwards and just try and, and do whatever I had to do especially with a lot of assignments that was really difficult um I did like a bachelor's um and you know that was like three years and then I went on to do a master's I don't know why um <laughs> that was another two years but um so you know I I guess I sort of got into like a routine or a rhythm um, and then I got to the point where I was like you know what maybe I need to actually start talking about it um, and advocating for those for myself really but also for those that live with these invisible illnesses because I think for me it also opened up a whole new world of I guess um, yeah invisible illness invisible things that people live with all the time that doesn't always get talked about and I think when I was at uni and I was in my I guess you know inspiration kind of bubbles you know with different classes I was doing and, and meeting new people and all that kind of stuff and learning a bit more about the world as a whole um and you know I, yeah I had this epiphany that I was like maybe I should actually become like an advocate maybe I should start advocating to family and friends about what I go through so then they can understand to them better support me or someone that they know that might have something like this um, so then it just sort of took off from there. I mean, that was 2015 and I remember there's actually um, uh, an international MECFS day um, and I participated in that for the first year where you wear blue for anyone fighting those illnesses. So CFS and ME are um, very similar. Some people say they're siblings, some people say they're cousins, depends who you talk to on that argument. But ME stands for myalgic encephalomyelitis. Um, and they're very, very similar, but I was only ever told I had the CFS. So I always like to acknowledge the ME sufferers because I know that there's a big community out there that have both, if not one or the other. Um, so I started with that and then I was like, maybe I should make a Facebook page. And then I started um, advocating on that and um, I sort of grew the page. I think it's like sitting at almost 800 likes and followers after... I don't know, eight years. Um, so, you know, just slowly started building in my community. I started doing a bit of um, blogging. So I developed a blog and then I started writing, I guess, in more detail about, you know, what my triggers were, what I would like for support, what it's like living with an invisible illness um, and I guess watching everyone else's life just go on um what it's you know just all these different perspectives of what it's like with that chronic illness um but then also seeing that there's sort of led me again down a bit of a rabbit hole and understanding that there was you know hundreds and hundreds of other illnesses I'd never heard of um that came to um yeah to my attention once you know I started researching my own and then you know blogging and then trying to obviously gain an audience um you know actually seeing that there's so much more out there that can even be worse than mine um and realizing that you know I've just sort of entered this new world this new community where I actually really fit in where I belong um so that also gave me a bit of validation to keep on going because there are some people who are too unwell to advocate and I was sort of I guess in a way a, I don't want to say lucky, but that's the only thing I can think of, like a lucky, luckier version of myself to be able to go out in the community. And I used to do like speeches at Rotary Clubs and I used to go out and I, um, 
I did a few like uh, video, like I would be in feature videos around the community and I'd be talking about Invisible Illness Week or my illness as a whole and things like that. And that's another way I sort of advertised. Um, and it gained a bit more following from that. And then I did do YouTube for a while, but no one ever looked that up, please. Um, there was probably like three videos or something out there. I would still have an account because um, I started talking about it and I thought that might be easier, but then I, I hated it. Um, so I never really continued with YouTube, but my blogging was my safe space. Um, and then I guess, yeah, it would just, it just sort of, it just took off from there. You know, there was a lot of, um, a lot of support from family and friends. You know, at first it was just about that education and, and people trying to, really understand what I was saying and then I think seeing it for themselves as well um helped like people seeing that I wasn't you know that I was still unwell after two years I think that also made a difference about you know how people I guess um yeah saw the illness as a whole and really started to believe it um and then yeah just sort of learning to live around like you know the the good and bad days and and just trying to still live a life that I wanted to albeit in an alternative manner and that's sort of like the um what I still live by is that you know this isn't ideal and it's never going to be ideal and there you know there are times certain parts of the year that that flare me the most and things like that and I think as I get older I'm learning that my body's responding differently to flares and things like that now so I've noticed you know in the last 10 years things have changed as well um in the way I manage things and the my tolerance level and toler like my body's tolerance levels and things like that um so yeah it's all about just I guess for me just taking each day as it comes and reading my body on that day and just sort of responding to it and looking after it as best as I can. Sometimes I'm the worst with my own advice and I don't, but for the most part I do, you know, look yeah. after myself and I, I, um, yeah, I just sort of, yeah, go with the flow, I guess. And then eventually it did end up leading into the podcast, which is only really almost six months old. So it's still a baby podcast. Um, so, and that also, I guess, gave me yeah. some new confidence and I guess a new audience on um, actually speaking about it in depth and what I've actually learned in the last 10 years, um, but also all the other health issues that have developed since that first initial diagnosis and then how I've had to deal with that on top of um, the CFS as well and um, the trauma from all of that as well. So that's all come forward more recently and that's, I guess, the the most recent platform I'm into is my podcasting. So, yeah. I think it's great that you are, you know, raising awareness and spreading awareness about um, about this condition, your condition and the way you live with it. And, you know, um, I'm sure there are people you're probably inspiring people to do, you know, to maybe be more compassionate to people suffering from yep. these um, illnesses. Um, it sounds like you were very fortunate that you had a lot of support around you, like your, uh, <clears throat> in particular, your mum and your now husband. Um, and did you ever experience times when people would say, maybe perhaps you couldn't do something or you felt like you were letting people down or yep yeah um 
I still feel like that, to be honest. There are, there are moments, I, I think that doesn't change. I think my resilience to it has changed though. But in the early days, I do remember, like I had to miss out on a couple of my friends' 18ths because I was just bedridden most weekends. Um, that was really difficult. And that was when I was still very early in my diagnosis. So a lot of my obviously teenage friends, young adult friends, were like, oh, well, Fliss isn't here. Like, you know, um, they were a bit disappointed. And I do remember being really upset. But I also was like, I could not physically move. Like, most weekends I was so bedridden that, yeah. you know, moving became, I guess, a chore. Like, my my legs felt like lead and, like, someone was pushing me down um, onto the bed. So I was pretty much just, yeah, I couldn't move. And it made me feel like crap watching everyone else celebrate and drink and do all the things I've been wanting to do for so long. Um, and, you know, um, and then, you know, then it, and then it's sort of like, you know, family as well. Like, I guess um, back in the day it was sort of like, I guess once I finished school and things like that, you know, seeing family also changed because I didn't have the energy to see people for long periods of time. So, you know, I guess my family having to adjust to that. And I'm sure at the beginning they probably felt disappointed if I wasn't visiting them, but at the same time I wasn't really able to drive. So, um, you know, I wasn't going to put myself behind the wheel um, if I was that fatigued. So I guess there was living with or learning to live with that disappointment, but also educating them that it's not personal, that I literally have to do this to be able to function yeah. for the rest of the week because, you know, they're not the ones doing my uni degree and, and things like that. So, um, but yeah, and it, it was always really embarrassing for me as well if I had to leave a party early because it got to the point where I would sort of compromise with myself where I would go to people's parties, but I'd only stay half the night, you know, because I couldn't stay up to 12 a.m., which you know, at at that age, that was like the big thing, right? 12, 1 o'clock, like you'd, you'd party. <laughs> but, you know, like even though it's really not that late <laughs> in my head these days anyway, um, back then it felt like such a mission to stay up to 12 o'clock because my body just would not cope. Like, and I would suffer the next day. And that was always the hardest part because no one saw that. That no one saw the recovery on the Sunday for me to then start my normal routine again Monday to Friday, going to uni and doing study and assignments and, you know, whatever else I had going on, like appointments like chiropractor and things like that. Things I was trying to help like doing the in in the in between moments to sort of just help my body sort of function. Um, I think that was always really hard to explain to people too because they didn't physically see it. The only person that's ever really seen it is probably my husband yeah. because he's actually been with me during those moments and seen me wake up, you know, really fatigued and, and things like that and sort of just have to figure out how to function. Um, so there was definitely, I think, in the early days, like a lot of, I guess, anxiety. Like I felt really anxious about what people were thinking of me. And I think that's another thing that sort of gave me, I guess, inspiration to sort of advocate because I didn't want people to think I was being rude by leaving early or, you know, doing whatever I had to do in the moment to sort of get through what I was doing. Um, because I think, yeah, I think after a while I started to realise that my mannerisms probably were looking rude and that I wasn't, you know, because when I sort of start to um, flare, my body sort of like, I've been told this a few times and I obviously don't see myself, what it looks like to other people, but I have been told that my eyes sort of glaze over and that they sort of like, they can see that my body is like mm. trying to get me through it, but like I'm not responding 
And so people have told me that like they can actually start to read me now. And because I've obviously advocated so much and those that are still in my life now that um, support me through it, they've actually learned to read my signs that I may not actually verbally tell someone that I'm struggling. So a lot of people have learned to read what they think is, um, I guess, the oncoming of a flare, which I actually think is really good um, for me anyway, because I am one of those people that try to persevere. That's, that's... Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's really amazing. That's, and that's really special. And that, that really shows how, how much they care. And, um, you know, to be able to learn how to read and um, your mm. needs and perhaps step in and, and, and stop you from doing something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so that you don't have to say no. Yes. Um, yeah, it must be hard to, to say no to things that you want oh, to say yeah. yes to. Yes, 100%, especially in the early days. What sort of, did you talked about going to the chiropractor and stuff. What other, like, did you take, did you do treatments or to help with your health or what, what was the kind of healing journey? Um, yeah, like? that's a really good question. Um, I have tried pretty much everything that I can think of at the moment. So I started off gradual, like I went to the chiropractor and I would get um, acupuncture to obviously get the blood flowing. And I was told that they're, you know, like Chinese medicine can be really good for things like CFS. And um, mm. I did used to go for quite a while and got the acupuncture. But the thing was, even though it probably was doing something, I didn't feel any different. I didn't feel like, you know, over the next coming days that there was a difference in my energy or just the way that my body responded. So I sort of got rid of that after a while when I sort of felt like that wasn't benefiting me. Um, and then because I was, you know, I guess my body was weak, I was doing like the chiropractor massages, chiropractor massages and then getting treatments and, you know, being cracked back in place. But um, what ended up coming from that is my chiropractor said to me once, I think the reason why your back's not recovering is because your body is so weak. It's not actually responding to me cracking you back in place. It just undoes it all because it's not strong enough to maintain what I'm doing. And I'd never thought about my back being affected by the CFS, you know, because obviously I feel my arms and my legs. I don't think about the rest of my body that would be, I guess, struggling with it as well and the way that it's affected my body. So she recommended that I start exercise physiology. So from there, I started exercise physiology and uh, that was a very long journey, but I did persevere. So I basically saw him, I think, from 2016 to 2020. I think I would have stopped because of COVID. Um, but yeah, I think I saw him about three years consistently and they they develop like an exercise program that suits your body and your like I guess energy levels and strength levels and things like that and they build you up over time and I remember the first few sessions and the home program that I did I wanted to die um, because I wasn't able to lift weights you know even if they were like a couple kilos like my body just like resented me and I resented it for just not like everything would shake yeah. and it made me feel like crap and um it was really hard to motivate myself in those early days because I was like this hurts I don't want to do it but you know they were like we know it hurts but to get through that and get stronger you, you have to keep going like it's a vicious cycle so you know sometimes days I wouldn't be able to get up out of bed to do the exercises um whereas some days I smashed it out and then eventually my body I guess built 
upper tolerance of strength and I was able to do you know activities for longer like you know walking for longer and um standing in line and things that used to make my legs shake and weak um I was able to do a bit more often because I had been building up the muscles um so I did persevere with that for a while um and then I stopped obviously during COVID and then I went back I think end of 2020 early 2021 and I probably that was my last session with him because I ended up work, um, getting a full-time job so then that threw everything out of balance as well because all the routine that I had and that's the other thing I probably should mention every time for me to cope I get into like a routine and if something big like that like a new job or anything like big that could literally disrupt that routine my body has to readjust and it's always like a big like flare up for however long it's always hard to say so I knew that this was going to throw everything out of whack because I'd been you know doing uni but with no job um so I was able to do all these appointments on weekdays and things like that most of these things weren't open on Saturdays and Sundays or they would only be open till 4 35 o'clock and I you know so when I worked part-time, it was fine. When I worked close, like local to that area um, where that place was and then where my work was, that was fine. But when I got, you know, a big job out near the city, that was very different. Um, so I had to learn to sort of, I guess, live without it. Um, like I had a personal trainer and went that avenue as a, as a substitute. Um, definitely did not go back to that. That's probably the worst thing I've ever done. Um, I was definitely not one of those people that loved the gym and became a gym junkie. I absolutely despised it with all my being. I'm definitely not a gym person. Um, I, uh, yeah, and then I just, I guess, and then I've also tried like other things. Like I've, um, I've done a bit more of like a, a spiritual realm, I guess you could say. And I've, you know, had like my chakra healed, like you know, mm -hmm. all that kind of healing, and um, done it that way with, you know, they. Um, it's not actually called chakra healing. There's another word for it. Oh, light activation. She did like a light activation therapy on me, which was really cool, mm -hmm. which is sort of similar, I guess. Um, and, yeah, so I did that, which I guess helped a little bit. Um, but that was more for other health issues, more like the trauma and things like that and just sort of getting to the to the root of that. So what does, what does life look like for you now? So now that you're, you're living – if someone looking from the outside in, you know, what what would they see? I think they would see a very, like, high-functioning sort of chronic illness person. Um, you know, I have a full-time job, like a stable job, you know. Um, I, you know, I've gotten married, like a fur mum. I do activities outside of work, like guitar lessons and things like that. And I'm always doing something after work, whether it's getting my nails done or my lashes or whatever. So I'm always out and about and doing things. Um, so I think it probably looks to the outside world that I've been able to, I guess, you know, um, balance everything and I guess in some ways I have but mm -hmm. at the same time there's all the stuff that people don't see at home as such um and that's still a really big battle yeah. for me it's obviously just what people don't see behind closed doors as we say um so you know all the crashes and the struggling to and from work and you know just how I'm feeling when I'm at work or when I have to go get my lashes or my nails done and things like that um 
and I say have to because, you know, if you want Ian feels, you know, it's important. So, um, you know, looking after my, you know, my beauty needs, you know, that can be a struggle as well, even though I really want to do it. It can be really hard sometimes. Um, even going to physio can be really hard for me after a, a full day of work and then having to go is just, it's beyond me sometimes. Um, so I think, yeah, I probably on the outside, I probably look fine, but yeah, it's a different story depending each what day. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess like with time, you've just found a new way of, of, of balancing and, and, and functioning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've really learned to listen to my body. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing that gets me through yeah. is just listening to my body, um, whether it's moving appointments, cancelling appointments, you know, just taking it easy at work, doing what I have to do to get through the day, whether it's, you know, um, rest after work, you know, rest on the weekend, cancel things on the weekend to just have, you know, that sort of time for myself. Um, I think also age helps as well, like, you know, obviously learning to read my body, but then also just, you know, with all the different treatments I've had and, and just the way that my routines have changed over the years, like some things flare me, some things don't, and just sort of learning to read those situations as well and just, I guess, being flexible um, and then advocating for that as well yeah. because I think it's important that, like, family and friends and anyone that may or may not know me, like, it's important that, what I may have been saying a few years ago is probably different now. And, and, you know, even 10 years ago, like my body has been through a lot since then. And, you know, we developed tolerances and things like that and, um, you know, boundaries and whatnot. And it, it, it definitely has differed over the last couple of years. And I think also just getting older, it's changed a lot to how I sort of balance things and um, get through my day. And yeah. And what, what advice would you give to someone, you know, that might be listening to this thinking, well, well, let's start from the beginning. So, you know, they, they can tell that there's something that's not quite right with their body, but they're going to the doctor and the doctor's like, no, you're fine. It's just probably this, or it's probably that. I guess like, you know, you, for someone that's potentially going to go through this journey, what advice would you you give them? Um, I probably have a few pieces. So my first one is always listen to your body because you know your body best. Even though you're going to a professional that is going to be there to help you on the journey and they may not believe you straight away, despite that, you know what your body is going through and you know how to talk about your own body. So don't give up, I guess, your voice of your own experiences um, because there is someone that will believe you. Um, so that sort of leads into my second, you know, piece of advice is that, you know, you can get second opinions. Um, you know, I saw multiple doctors at the beginning of my journey because no one was like each different, each person was giving us different advice, but also not listening to one thing and someone else would listen to the other thing. And I sort of learned from that, that everyone has different knowledge and different experience with patients and things like that. So if you feel like you need a second opinion, definitely do that because this is about 
what you're going to be doing to get through whatever you're going through. It's not them. They're just there to provide the advice, but they're not the ones that are ultimately going to be going through what you are. So it's really important to, I guess, if you need to seek second and third opinions. Um, sometimes that can be hard, especially if, like if it's specialists and you're needing, like you're needing to pay and things like that. It can be hard. Um, but then I guess in other ways, I would say as an alternative, you know, maybe looking at like um, joining support groups and sort of seeing how other people were diagnosed and what their advice could be as well, um, because that's sort of a free option to sort of see what other people have gone through and then, you know, like and sort of help you through that through that time. Um, I think the third piece of advice is, you know, it may not be easy, um, but there's still hope at the end of the tunnel and there's still a life worth living um around that illness like you will be able to get back on track once you have that diagnosis or once you have some answers whatever it is um and I think the really important thing that I've learned and this, this was someone else's advice that they've given me about nine years ago and I still live by it to this day um is grieve for your body because once it enters like this new phase or whatever it's going through it's really important to when you're having those moments of grief like just let yourself grieve because your body isn't going to be able to do what it used to and that's okay it's crap but it's okay because you're going to be able to figure it out um I think that that was probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in very low moments because I did obviously develop depression and anxiety after all these diagnoses. That helped me a lot, just sort of actually letting myself go through the emotions and crying if I wanted to because, you know, yesterday I could walk and then today I couldn't. Or a year ago I was able to, you know, just do something with my friends and then today I'm bed bound like you know just sort of going through those motions of who I was then and who I was who I was at that time. Um how they were so different but it like it's it's a normal part of the process and it does really suck um and to just really yeah like feel that like you know that's yeah it just it's very powerful when you do grieve that um it's really hard to explain but some people may get it if they if they've if they've been through that or have heard that before it's really important to just yeah, like you're allowed to miss your old body and you're allowed to miss your old life because you didn't ask for this. So, yeah, that's probably my last piece of advice. Um, that's really powerful advice. And I think, you know, that um, it must have taken quite a lot of strength for you to accept your diagnosis. Mm, yeah, yeah, it took, a, it took a long time. I think at least took a couple of years to actually accept this has happened. Um and that this was just going to be my way of life. I mean, there's still some days now that I hate it. Like I, I grieve, you know, I still grieve these days, even though um, it's been a long time. I don't think I'll ever fully get over the fact that I've been diagnosed with these chronic illnesses or invisible illnesses or that it's never really going to go away. Mm -hmm. I think that really sucks at times. But other times I just, I, I always pick myself back up. Um, oh, and I should also say, it's part of that last piece of advice always grieve but then always pick yourself back up the next day because you don't want to stay there in that grief it's always important to keep moving forward and come back to that at a later time when need be that's yeah I think that's really important as well um I know for me in some aspects of my life not with a medical diagnosis but sometimes I I set myself a timer 
<laughs> so oh. I set myself a timer for like five minutes and I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna bitch, I'm gonna moan, I'm gonna cry, yeah. I'm gonna scream, <laughs> do whatever I want. And then when that timer yeah. goes off, I am done and I'm moving yeah. on. And then tomorrow I might need to do it again, right? But I don't yes. wanna live in that in that anger or the angst or the anxiety or the the stress of it. I just want to, you know, um move it out of my body basically yeah so yeah, yeah no I think that's that's, that's really important to to grieve but but remember you're still alive you're still alive and you yes. still have a life to live yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah and it sounds and it sounds that like you are you know doing such amazing things with your with with the diagnosis so you know I'm I'm sure it must be that you must have some awful days but it's it seems from from this side that you are um you're actually being motivated by the diagnosis now mm. and you know to 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 spread awareness to to raise awareness and um i think that's that's pretty um pretty powerful thank you yeah and yeah so any anything else that you'd like to share with anyone you know going out going through this or um, last words of wisdom just know that you're not alone it does feel really isolating in those moments but there are people out there that have gone through something similar if not the same thing and you've just got to find them and once you do like you'll feel like you belong again like there's there's people out there that will take you on board and help you through that um and definitely develop you know, a support group of your own, like whether it's family, friends, strangers, whatever, it's really important to not have to share what, um, to not have to go through that alone. Like it's important to share, to share your journey to mm-hmm. just so people can listen and, and talk to you and help you. Cause it also just released, like relieves that burden of just carrying everything to yourself and not actually reaching out to anyone. I think it's really important to sort of have that sort of, yeah, start developing that support circle um, because you're going to need it. Yeah. So that's probably that's the last two things I can think of that are wise. <laughs> that's Those are really good points. And I'm going to be adding um, all your contact details in the show notes. So to your, um, I think you've given me your blog and your podcast and things like that. So people are able to find more information uh, about you and about everything um, related to, um, you know, chronic illness. Um, So I like to ask um, all my guests, if you could be remembered by one word, what would that word be? Oh, that's a really good question. I always tell you to go with the first word that came to your your mind. And because people go, oh, no, I can't say that word. But the word that popped into your head. <laughs> um, the first one that came was resilient. Um, ah. But then I thought, you know, warrior, which I actually got tattooed on me as well when I first um, started going through all this stuff. So, um, but yeah, I guess fighter, you know, resilient, fighter. warrior, those kind resilient of. Resilient warrior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Felicity, and for sharing your story. Um, and I'm sure that you've given people you know um some inspiring um bits of advice and um i hope that 
you know, you continue to, 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 to fight, um, I guess. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, be such a, a wonderful advocate to, about this, these illnesses. Thank you. And thank you for having me to, to share my story again to a new audience. Very grateful for that. Thanks so much for listening. I hope today's conversation inspires and empowers you to know that no matter your current situation, your life can change too. All it takes is a moment. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and share it with a friend. If you would like to share your own moment, see the link in the show notes. Until next time, be present in each moment because you never know when your moment will arrive or when you have the gift of being a moment for someone else. Take care.